paper to Ben again, he's really good at this. The other way is to say that the gospel, the cross of Christ, is really dumb. I don't know how that bike works, I really don't. But they think it's really dumb. And you see, the Greeks, who were at Corinth, were taught by Plato that in order for someone to die for another person, that other person had to be wonderful. There's a book called The Symposium, and they go on for pages about how wonderful the person must be if someone were to die for them. But you see, the gospel turns out on the head. Jesus died for bad people. And the Greeks said, that's dumb. That's really dumb. And that's our default position. But you see, at Corinth, there were Jews, there were Greeks, there were rich people. It was a commercial city. It was very sophisticated. There were poor people. When the gospel came to Corinth, through Paul, people from all those different groups and backgrounds came into the church because of the gospel message. But when Paul wrote to this letter to the Corinth, this Greek city, things had started to change. The old ways of thinking that they abandoned when they came to Christ were starting to come back in. And it was starting to turn the church into a basket case. There were people there who thought it was quite okay to muck around with their father's wife. There were people in the church who thought it was quite okay to take their brother or their sister to court and call them a scumbag. There were people who were being nasty to one another in the church of Jesus Christ where Christ came to rescue bad people. They weren't acting according to the gospel. They were starting to think that the gospel probably wasn't good enough. Either it was yucky or it was dumb and we had a better way of dealing with our problems. They certainly didn't, but that's what they were thinking. So Paul wrote this letter to say, wake up. Remember what brought you into this church in the first place. Now, it's just not an ancient thing that people think that the gospel is either yucky or dumb. Uh, Richard Dawkins comes to mind. But there are people these days who speak of the death of Christ either as divine child abuse. That wicked God the Father beat up on his son, isn't that yucky? Other people say that this whole idea of dying for people is primitive barbarism. It's ancient superstition, why do we bother with it anymore? Other people, probably thinking they're more kind, say it was a terrible tragedy. He was this nice guy going around being nice and people killed him. What a tragedy that that should happen. But you see, all those sort of clever thinking around the cross is really quite foolish. And the method that God has used to bring us back to himself, to change our default position to one of faith, is really the wisest thing that has ever been done in this world. Not only was it the most merciful thing that was ever done in the world, it was the wisest thing that ever was done in this world. And of course, Paul knows about this. He used to think that the gospel was yucky. He actually went around beating up on Christians because he thought they were telling other people yucky stuff. And then he met the Lord Jesus, or in fact, he was met by the Lord Jesus, and he found that the one he'd been making war against was in fact his God. And the message that he had hated was the best news that ever was. So this is why Paul is writing. 
He's writing to the Corinthians to get their heads back to where they ought to be. Now, Paul said he wasn't going to use wise reasoning. What he meant was that he wasn't going to use clever words to avoid the implications of the cross. Now, the cross is shorthand for the death of Jesus Christ. When Paul talks about the message of the cross, he's not talking about a stick of wood that the Romans cruelly used to kill people. He was talking about what that doing of Jesus means for people like us. And he said there are two ways you can react. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So in this very first uh, piece of the Bible that we've read out, there are two conditions a person might be in. A person might be in the condition of perishing. Now, when Paul talks about perishing, he's not talking about the way people die and that's it. He's talking about a far greater disaster. He's talking about the fact that after death comes the judgment. And at the judgment will be measured against the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who don't measure up will be sent to a place of punishment that will not end. That's serious, serious stuff. And Paul says that some are in that condition of perishing. In fact, it's our default position. And then there are those who are being saved. Those to whom the gospel has come and Christ has rescued. And those two conditions come with two different mindsets. You see, originally, people had a good relationship with God. We were made to live in his world. We were given the ability to do good in his world. But our first parent, Adam, messed up big time. And with his rebellion, with his sin, he not only brought death, he brought a messed up mind. Our minds became hostile toward God. It came so hostile that we think God's mercy is yucky or dumb. Unless God's mercy comes to us through the Spirit, making us trust Jesus, we will always, always reject the message of God's mercy. The message of God's cross or the Christ of Christ will be foolishness to us. In our sinful wisdom, we would never come to Christ. See, what we regard as foolishness was really very wise. In uh, 1 Corinthians, the next chapter on, Paul says this about the person without Christ. That person does not receive the things of the Spirit, that is the message about Jesus, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to know them as they are spiritually discerned. In other words, the work of the Holy Spirit needs to change our hearts and our minds and our wills, needs to correct our bad attitude to Jesus. If the Spirit doesn't do that, we stay in the condition of one who is perishing. When he does that, when his grace comes to a person, we are transformed into a place where we are safe, where we have Christ as our saviour. So he talks about those who are being saved, the cross of Christ is the power of God. In what way is the cross powerful? It looks weak. A person is nailed to a cross, they cannot move, uh, or only minimally. The, their ability to breathe is restricted. 
They're in pain because of what's being done to their arms and to their legs, and they will die slowly over a period of a day or two. That looks like weakness. But what God did by the death of Christ, what God did in Christ carrying our curse, is mighty to save. Jesus died that people might not perish. John 3.16 He came that anyone who trusts him might not perish but have everlasting life. So what's going on here? Well as son of God Jesus was very much involved in the planning of the cross. It wasn't a bad accident. It wasn't a tragic thing that happened by mistake. And in the Gospels, we find Jesus a number of times insisting to his disciples, who didn't like to hear it, insisting to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, he must suffer, he must die, and he will rise again. Several times in the Gospels. Again, in the Gospels, we hear several times the Father speaking from heaven (coughs) of his Son and saying, this one is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You see, the Lord Jesus is the only person that God was happy with for his entire life on earth. He was well pleased with Jesus. The Holy One was well pleased. That means Jesus never did anything wrong. He did not deserve to die. In fact, he could not have died unless he was bearing the sins of other people. Unless Jesus took upon himself the responsibility for the sins of people like us, he would never have died. But he did die. The good man did die because he was bearing the responsibility of the sins of other people. This is precisely the message of the cross. Bad people like us can have hope as we trust Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He deliberately and sinlessly took our sins, the sins of his enemies, and their condemnation was completed in his It is finished, Jesus said, at the end of his crucifixion when he died on that cross. And the message is, through all the Bible, anyone who puts their trust in this Lord Jesus can know that their sins are forgiven. God was pleased by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe the message of the cross. Death is defeated by the death of Jesus on the cross. It's only this message that saves because it's only the death of Jesus that can deal with our sin effectively. See, this is where God's wisdom is displayed. You see, if it was left to us to sort it out, we'd get it very wrong. Even if we wanted with all our hearts to get it right, we would get it wrong. We are unable and unwilling to deal with our sin because we are sinners. God kept us out of it when he saved us. It was through his uh, determination that Jesus should come. It was the acting of Jesus, his good life, his death and his resurrection that brings salvation. And then the Holy Spirit makes us willing to accept that. He gives us faith. You see, it's out of our hands. God does it for us. It is unbreakable. We can't mess it up. That's good news that we can't mess it up. Okay, very quickly, uh, 
The problem of emptying the cross of Christ is not something that's out there. It's a problem that can come into the church and obviously had done at Corinth. And I've got two examples and I'll get a drink of water. Just a moment. Yeah, okay. I'll wave my hand. Okay. <clears throat> There's a passage that Paul quotes from Isaiah 29 verse 14. And it says this. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the understanding of the clever I will set aside. Now, Isaiah and Paul were not against people using their brains. He was against those who thought they were smart enough to, to game the gospel. What was happening in Isaiah's day is that the people had rejected the gospel. They kept on turning up at the temple where they saw the lamb killed as a sacrifice in their place, foreshadowing the coming of the Lord Jesus. They kept on turning up, but they didn't believe the message. They were really in their heart going after gods who couldn't save. And they were just doing the words. They're doing God talk. They're in the right place. But they weren't there because they believed the message of God's mercy. And Isaiah wrote and spoke to call them back from this disaster. And he said, if you don't, Repent. If you don't come back to the gospel that God has given you, God is going to send the Assyrians. Just wait here. Now, you may not know about the Assyrians, but they were not nice people. <clears throat> the crowd who are making life miserable to people in the Middle East at the moment have nothing on these guys. Nothing. In the middle there, you might see some people sort of bending over some sticks. That's what you call impaling. This was common among the Assyrians when they took a city. They left piles of human heads at the gate to let people know how they treat people if they don't play games. They sometimes did to people who did play games as well. God said, if you don't want mercy, I will show you what life without mercy really is. And the people said, nah, we can fix this. We can keep on going, rejecting your mercy, God, and we'll talk to the Egyptians. They'll help. They'll keep the Assyrians away. You know how well that worked? Not at all. God sent the Assyrians through to show them what life without mercy is. You can't game God. He's presented the way of salvation. If we reject that, expect the Assyrians. Or worse. Okay. Uh, you've seen this guy before. Frederick William Robinson. He was an Anglican minister in Brighton. He was famous. Uh, I call him infamous. Uh, he hated the gospel. And when I was preparing for this talk, I did a little search of my thing, my, my Android, uh, on 1 Corinthians, and his book came up. I said, you're kidding me. He preached on 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 17 to 25? Yeah, July, 1851. Mr. Robinson came to a wonderful conclusion about this passage. He managed to empty the gospel of Christ on the passage that warns against emptying the gospel of Christ. He said that, oh, the problem here is the Greeks wanted impersonal signs. No, no, the Greeks wanted impersonal philosophy. The, the, the Jews wanted impersonal signs, but God sent a person. He sent his son Jesus to show us how we are to live, to be our an example. Don't worry about that cross business. It's the example that Jesus showed 
that was the good thing. Mr. Ro uh, Robinson said, Jesus my guru, not Jesus my saviour. The man was a disaster and yet he was famous and his church was crowded because he said things people liked. He didn't bring the offence of the cross to anyone. Very sad man. These days, you get people outside the church and sometimes inside the church saying things like, the church is only for community. The church is only for mutual support. If that's your hope, prepare for disappointment. Churches can be ugly places at times, especially if the gospel is emptied in that church. Some people think, and I'm vaguely associated with education in my work, some people think education's the cure. You just teach people the right stuff and they'll be right sort of people. Prepare for disappointment if that's your hope. The political solution. All we need to do is get the right political party in and things will be great. We know about that disappointment, right? It's a disaster. All these clever ideas imagine that the problem is outside of us and it's in our circumstances. My job's the wrong job, I need a better job. My family's a bad family, I need a different family. And yeah, these sorts of things that people say to themselves, the problem's out there. Really, the problem's in here. We're rebels against God until Christ comes through the cross by the Spirit to bring us to God. Uh, G.K. Chesterton, he was a journalist about 100 years ago. Uh, people were asked to write uh, essays on what is wrong with the world. Mr. Chesterton wrote in two words, I am, and so should everyone else say, I'm the problem with the world, we need Jesus. Okay, so the alleged foolishness of God in the gospel preaching is wiser than all the wisdom that this world can bring. The weakness of God, as shown in the cross, is so much stronger than all the might we can manage for ourselves. The church needs to be careful not to become too clever for itself. We're not to pr uh, replace preaching with other stuff. No coffee clubs or whatever. No, it's preaching, it's mass evangelism. But it needs to be preaching of the cross, the cross of Christ, because he is the one who has saved. Okay, the word preaching, and I'm finishing on this, so, oh, look at that. Oh, I'm finishing on this. This is really surprising. No, it should be ours on. Okay, preaching, the word preaching, comes from the Greek word for a herald. A herald was a guy who used to have a flag and a trumpet and he would be sent by the king to go to a city and announce the king's will. And this, the, the herald's job was to take the message and deliver the message as it was given to him. He would blow the trumpet, everybody would gather around and he'll give the message. Woe to the herald who messes with the message. Woe to the people who ignore the message once it's given. That's the way I like to say it. But I have a happy, story about a herald. I'll wave my hand. Okay, there was a Roman general and he's got an utterly impronounceable name, Titus Quintius Flaminius. Whoa, his mother needs spanking. Okay, uh, this, <laughs> this was his name. But he was a general and he beat Philip of Macedon number five. 
He defeated him in battle, wiped them out. That was the end of the phalanx, and it was the little German, uh, sorry, uh, uh, Roman stabbing sword that uh, became the weapon of the day. He beat him, and the Roman Senate and their general, that guy, sent a message to the subject people, the people who were being oppressed by Philip of Macedon, got a, a message from a herald. They were all at the, the football match. There was a huge uh, coliseum. They were all there. The herald walked in the middle, blew the trumpet, and everybody listened. This is the message. The Senate and people of Rome and T. Quinctius, their general, having conquered Philip and the Macedonians, deliver, set free, the Corinthians, the Locrians, the Phaeacians, the Euboans, the Archaeans, the Magnesians, the Thessalonians, the Perhabians, I love the Perhabians, and decree that these guys are now free. There was dead silence. The whole crowd was stunned. And someone said, could you say that again? So he did. Read the whole thing out exactly the same way again. And all of a sudden, there was this explosion of joy. There was cheering. There were people running around to find this Quintius guy and shake his hand, to slap his back, to put crowns on his head, to kiss his hand. He had rescued them from the oppression of Philip of Macedon. They were overjoyed. It's just a political solution. They were still sinners. They were still heading for judgment, but they were thrilled with this message that Philip of Macedon was gone, and the Romans have come. How wonderful. But you see, the gospel, the message of the cross, in that message our creator God sends us a far greater, far greater message. God has shown his own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Our Lord Jesus, having defeated sin and death by his own death on the cross, declares a full pardon to all who will trust themselves to him. He offers everlasting life to anyone who believes. Sinners under a sentence of death who receive this gospel have far greater reason for expressing themselves with violent shouts of joy and thankfulness. The question is, what is our response to this gospel? Don't rely on your own clever plan. Don't try to twist the message to make it more palatable for yourself. Believe the message as it's delivered in the, in the Bible and be happy as you are found in Christ. Jews demand a sign. Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, the wisdom of God and the power of God to the called, to those who trust. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you've given us such an extraordinary message, a message that people uh, would never receive unless you mercifully gave them the ability to do, but it's a great message. It's a message of mercy to sinners. And as sinners, Lord God, we ask that you'll turn our hearts to you, that you'll give us that grace of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and returning great shouts of thankfulness and joy to you, our God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.